Turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, we're going to be looking at chapter 24. Luke 24, we're going to be starting in verse 1, but we'll get to that here in just a minute. This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you this morning about what I believe is the single most important event in human history, the resurrection. I don't think there is anything that is greater than than the resurrection. How many would say amen to that? The Bible is quite clear that without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Think about that for a moment. Without Jesus raising from the dead, there would be no salvation. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I want you to think about that this morning. Because there's two things that are obvious to me. There's two things that come to mind when I read a verse like that. First is, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then everything that we're doing in this place today is simply a waste of time. I want you to think about that. But there is a greater truth because I believe he raised from the dead. And so what that means to me is that if he did, in fact, raise from the dead, then what we do here today has enormous implications for our life now and for our future. Can you say amen? (coughs) The problem is, for many of us, we have lost the wonder of this day. Listen to me. See, the problem is today many people treat Easter just like Christmas. It's another religious holiday. But how many know this morning that this day is not like any other day? This day is a supernatural day. And that's what I want you to get this morning. This, this is we're not just attending church because, hey, after all, it's Easter. We're coming here today because we're celebrating the greatest day in all of history. Now, listen, so many people have tried to take the supernatural out of the gospel. They've tried to take it out of Jesus' life and ministry, and ultimately they've tried to take the supernatural out of his death and resurrection. They've tried to ignore it, but you just can't do that, can you? Because if you take the supernatural out of it, then all you have is another human being that died and passed away. It is said that Thomas Jefferson could not accept the miraculous, so what he decided to do is that he would edit his own version of the Bible. And so he put his Bible together, and as he edited it, what he did is he confined himself solely to the moral teachings of Jesus. And the closing words of Thomas Jefferson's Bible are these. There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the tomb and departed. Now, how many are glad that the day didn't end there? How many are glad the story didn't end with Jesus in the tomb? Aren't you glad for that? We need to celebrate that. Can you say amen? Amen. Because you know what? God is a supernatural God, and God does supernatural things. And the Savior that we serve rose again in a supernatural way. Can you say amen? amen? See, we are a supernatural people. And the sooner we get that, the better off we'll be. Listen to what I'm saying. We're born again by a supernatural birth. We are kept by a supernatural power. We are sustained by supernatural food. We are taught by a supernatural teacher from a supernatural book. And we are led by a supernatural savior right into a supernatural life. And you say, why why is that? It's because of one thing and one thing alone. And that is because he, Jesus, is the resurrection and the life. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus 
is he set the bar with his life. Can you say amen? He says, the things that I do, you will do and greater. I want you to think about that. The resurrection is a part of Jesus' life. Well, let me tell you something. The resurrection is a part of your life, and I'm going to show you scripturally. I'm going to show you how that's at work inside of you right now. Let's look at our text in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went down to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. <coughs> and as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The woman, women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? That's a great question. You gotta, you gotta like that question. Why are you looking for someone who's alive in a graveyard? It doesn't make sense. And he says, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would raise again on the third day. And they remembered that he had said this. Now listen to me this morning. There are many days that we celebrate in this life. None of them are minor by any stretch of the imagination, but none of them are as significant as Easter. See, as human beings, we tend to be a little bit nostalgic by nature, don't we? We, we look back at the grand old days. How many how many's ever looked back at the good old days? You know, it's like, man, I remember back in the 80s. You know, wow, that's, that's my era. That's when I was going through high school. I'm a child of the 80s. And you know, I remember, you know, all the rock groups of the 80s. And, you know, on, on, on VH1, they have, I want my 80s. And I'm like, you're right, I do. I, I want my 80s. I look back to the 80s, and I, I think, man, that was a good time. That's when Kathy and I were dating, and, you know, the world was in front of us. And, you know, we got married right in the middle of the 80s, 1986. And it was like, wow, that, what a great good old day. And we remember days like birthdays and graduations and, 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 and uh, uh, the day we got saved, and we remember those with great fond affection. We even remember the days of great loss and hardship, and it's, we, we, we remember them with a kind of awe and respect of, of, of understanding the value of the things that we lost and the, and the depth of the struggle that we survived. And these days serve as a landmark and landmarks detailing the road of who we are and what we are. And these days, we, we love remembering many of these days, but there are days we want to forget. Does anybody have any days you want to forget? There's, there's, a couple, I, there's a couple embarrassing moments. There's some days that it's like, I don't even want to relive that day. How, how, how many know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's days. It's like I, I was sharing with somebody. Somebody asked me the other day, what was your most embarrassing moment? And, and there, I have a couple of them. And one of them was when I preached a whole sermon with, not just my, my zipper down, but I, my pants had gotten ripped out. <coughs> and I had basically just, I was exposed, and nobody told me. I, it was a bad day. <coughs> it was a day I don't want to relive. How many, you know, you know it's like, well, didn't, didn't you feel a draft? Uh, apparently not. I, I, it was a bad day. 
And I remember there was a woman in our church, her name was Jackie Bowers, and she was sitting next to Pastor Howard. And I'm sitting on stage. Back in the day, we sat on stage before we came up and did our thing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just sitting like a man would sit, you know. And Sister Bowers leans over to Pastor Howard and says, does Brother Poole know his pants are ripped out? And my Pastor Howard went, guess not. It was a bad day. I get up and I preach. And, you know, I'm just, I'm wild and crazy and just going for it. And finally we get done, pull the altar call. Nobody came to the altar that night. Everybody was scared. We go over to Pastor Pennington's house and we're sitting there. And, and finally, after about 25 minutes of sitting there with, with his wife and his daughter there, Pastor Pennington goes, hey, do you know your pants are ripped out? And it's like, Really? You could have told me a lot sooner than this, man. It's, oh, it's a day I don't want to remember. It's one of those moments. But whether they're good or bad, all these days are significant moments in our life. And they are truly great days, and life is full of them. But listen to me this morning. The greatest day of your life, the greatest day of your life was not the day you were born, or the day you got saved. It was not your wedding day or your, the birth of your child. The, the greatest day in all of creation was not the day that God spoke the worlds into existence. It, it wasn't the day when he said, let there be light. Nor was it when God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him and he became a living soul. It, 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 it was not that amazing day when Jesus came. As a, he was born into this world and he, he, he was brought to life in the manger and in Bethlehem. And listen, the greatest day in your life was not the day that Jesus laid down his life and died for your sins. That was a good day, but it wasn't the greatest one. The, the greatest day in your life and in my life was the day that Jesus rose from the dead with resurrection power, overcoming death, hell, and the grave, because that day made every other day count. Can you say amen? It is that day that rests between the eternal past and the eternal future, and all of life depends on that day. Let me tell you something. That resurrection day was a day that all of creation looked forward to and all of creation looks back to. It's that day that emanates from God. God confirming it over and over again by his love and his grace. In fact, it was that day that God demonstrated through the greatest display of power ever known. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, I also pray that you will understand, listen to the words he uses, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same power, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Listen, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a display of incredible, great, mighty power. Can you say amen? And you know what? This morning, because of that, because he lives, I can live. Because he lives, because he rose again, he made me more than a conqueror. Because he paid the price with his blood, because he died 
on that cross and made that sacrifice. And then on the third day, he became uh, uh, the standard. His, his uh, life was the standard of power in the New Testament. His resurrection, all that he accomplished became eternally mine. Every promise fulfilled in him because of that day. Forgiveness of sins, healing of my body, the newness of life, restoration, abundance, acceptance, identity, a new family and a new home, all became mine and yours because of that day. Can you say amen? amen? Now this morning, I want you to think about this with me. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. Think about that day. Think about the day that they discovered Jesus missing from the tomb. You know, so many times we read this story, and I think what happens is we, we kind of take away the, 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 the crisis that was unfolding at this moment. Remember, they did not have an understanding of what was happening. Jesus told them about it, but they didn't quite grasp it. They didn't really understand it. It's kind of like you and I, when, when a bill is due and we're wondering what's going to happen, or, or we get a bad report from a doctor and we wonder what's going to happen, and, and we don't know what's going to take place. And so that chaos, that, that confusion, that, that stuff begins to mount up. And, and, and here they are. They, they, the Jesus has died, and they're going to take care of his body, as the Jewish custom was. But they go there, and the tomb is empty. What a day that must have been. I am sure by that point, the events of Jesus' crucifixion have turned into a fog of confusion. I can imagine the disciples are trying to make sense of the whole thing. They're trying to figure all of this out. One minute, they're riding high on victory. They're watching the supernatural unfold. Jesus is healing blind eyes and deaf ears. He's raising the dead. He's multiplying loaves of bread and fish and Things are happening. They, they think, you know what? Th this is it. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is going to be a conquering king, and Rome is finally going to be put in its place. Uh, but now all of that has gone by the wayside. Jesus is dead, and it seems so unreal. He's gone, and in just a few hours, Jesus was killed and taken away. I imagine doubt had settled in. I imagine fear was rising. They were probably thinking, dear God, I, I, I was a partner of his. I, I ran my mouth in public with him. Amen. I imagine they're probably even feeling a little bit angry, grief-stricken, a little chaotic. What do we do now? We gave our lives to this thing. What do we do? What do we do? And just as these thoughts and feelings were about to take over, Mary Magdalene busts through the door with news that changed everything. Look at Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 9. It says, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven <coughs> and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother Mary, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to be like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths laying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. You know, the Bible is always so polite, isn't it? 
It's like, oh, yeah, they just kind of walk back to the house where the disciples are. And it's like, oh, hey, guys, a new development here. Just want to tell you, we got a little bit of news for you. No, I don't think that's what happened at all. I think they ran. I think screaming the whole way. And I think they, you know, at first they're probably thinking, who stole his body? But see, that angel, those angels had something to say, didn't they? He's not here, he's alive. They'd had encounters before, didn't they? And something is different this day, because this day is a supernatural day. And they bust through the door and they say, you guys, you've got to get this. And, and, and they're frantic. They're, 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 they're like a bunch of crazy women. In, in so much that the Bible says in their words seem like idle tales. You can kind of get a sense of the, the spirit that's in that room, can't you? They didn't even believe them, but Peter. Thank God for Peter. And Peter rose up and he ran to the tomb. And you know what? All of a sudden, something grips his heart. He sees for himself. I imagine his mind is racing, and everything that Jesus had ever said to him starts coming back. What seemed to be lost is forever stirring again. And arriving at the tomb, Peter sees the stone rolled away, the clothes laying there by themselves. The tomb is empty and he marvels. I, that's a polite way to say that he was ecstatic. It's like, oh, I marvel at this. You know, it's always like the picture. Everybody says, no, it's probably a lot more violent than that. And he's thinking back and he's remembering. But isn't that what the angel said to Mary? Isn't that when they begin to question, when, when, there was a, 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 when they begin to see this and not know what's going on, the angel said, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Church, let me tell you something about Easter. Easter is a day where we remember. It's a day where we look back to that empty tomb and we remember that he is the resurrection and the life. Can you say amen? But it shouldn't just be on Easter that we remember. Every day of every week, every month, every year, we should be remembering that that tomb is empty. Can you say amen? I declare to you today that as we go through life, we should remember the words that Jesus spoke of himself. That's what the apostles had to do to get themselves back into the place that God wanted them to be. See, the most significant words that Jesus ever spoke, words that stand head and shoulders above the rest, was his response to Martha when her brother Lazarus had died. Because everything hangs on this one phrase. In John eleven twenty five, <coughs> Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That is, a, that is a phrase that you and I need to capture. That is a phrase that we need to remember. That is a phrase that we need to put into our thinking every day. You know the story. Lazarus is dead. Jesus has delayed. Mary and Martha are upset. All is lost. It's too late. He stinks, the Bible says. But Jesus arrives, 
He arrives late in their mind. They begin to accuse him. If you had only been here sooner, if you wouldn't have delayed, if you would have responded to us the first time we talked to you. But Jesus calmly looks at them and says, you have forgotten who I am. You have forgotten the words that I've spoken to you. He says, you have forgotten I am the resurrection and the life. Can you say amen? See, with Jesus, it's never too late. With Jesus, it is never too late. Can you say amen? Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and Jesus is the standard of power in the New Testament. The resurrection is what God set as the bar of the power that works in you and I. What is there after that? That's the miracle of miracles, isn't it? Think about it for a moment. It used all of God's power, this incredible, great, mighty power. But that's not all, because listen to it again in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. It says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and listen, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated his seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. This word toward, it literally means in and through us. It is resurrection power that exists inside of you. It's resurrection power that's working in your life. Christian, we sell ourselves out too slow, too low. We live far beneath what God has prepared for us. The exceeding greatness of his power in and through my life. Can you say amen? You say, how do you know that? Listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, the work of the cross, the work of the cross expresses God's love, but it is the resurrection that demonstrates the power that is at work in your life right now. This isn't something we have to wait for. It's not something that we inherit in eternity. <coughs> it is not something that we have to earn. But at salvation, the moment we get saved, resurrection power flows in and through us. The incredible greatness of his mighty power working in our lives. See, no other religion in the world has a resurrection. This is the crowning miracle of God. And all is balanced in this one thing, the resurrection. Church, let me tell you something. You are a vessel of the resurrection. Let me say it again. You didn't get it. You should be jumping up and down, going wild and crazy. You are a vessel. See, that's the problem, church. It's like, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard it. I've heard that. Let me tell you something. You are a vessel of the resurrection. You contain that power. It's a significant power. It's the power of the Almighty. It's incredibly great and mighty. And you contain it. You hold it within you. Why would we live a life 
that would be any less than that power? Why would we submit to anything that that power could deal with? Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, listen to me this morning as, I, as I'm bringing this to a close this morning. The resurrection isn't just a part of my theology. See, a lot of people go, well, that's great theology, Pastor, that I understand you believe that. But listen, see, it goes a lot further for me. Because <coughs> the resurrection is not a part of my theology. The resurrection is a person who lives inside of me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus takes up residence in my heart. Listen to what he said in Romans. He said, if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then the spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken, will make alive, will heal, deliver, set free your mortal body. God will do it. He's alive inside you. He is alive inside your heart. He is the resurrection and the life. Can you say amen? That's why Paul writes... In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He understood that he wanted to know not just Jesus. He didn't want to know about him. He didn't want facts about him. He wanted to know him, walk with him, be intimate with him. The one they call the resurrection and the life. Now listen, a hundred, hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross and overcame death through the resurrection, God asks a cautious, reluctant prophet a very powerful question. He says this, can these bones live? Now I want you to think about this, because this is very prophetic. It's a foreshadowing of what God's going to do in the New Testament. In Ezekiel 37, 1 through 3, it says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, this is Ezekiel speaking, and brought me out into the spirit of the Lord, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the in the midst of, of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, God, only you know. Listen, God takes Ezekiel on this spiritual journey, and he shows him this vast valley filled with impossibilities. I don't know about you, but I have a valley that has some impossibilities in it. Some of them have been there a very long time. And some of them have become very dry, meaning they're lifeless. They're, they're doornailed dead. They're, they're gone. Hopes and dreams, impossibilities that just kind of litter the valley of things that I thought once could be. But God asked the prophet a simple question. He said, can these bones live? Literally what he's asking Ezekiel is he's saying, is it too late, Ezekiel, <coughs> for these bones, for these things, these hopes and dreams, this marriage, this home, these children, this career, this job, this ministry, is it too late? 
Is it too late? Is it too, are things too far gone? Is there no hope? Is there nothing left? I don't know how many times in the course of conversations with people this mindset reveals itself. More often than not, people have come to a place where they've encountered a setback or a failure or a rejection or a tragedy, and they tend to believe that the circumstance that they're currently going through, the situation they're embroiled in, is permanent. There's no hope. Nothing can be done. Nothing can change. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too whatever. It's too far gone. But here's the thing that we must understand this morning. This is the message of Easter. Is that no matter what circumstance, no matter what things look like, <coughs> no matter what report you have received, God is not done. That's the point of Easter. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. And yes, they put his body in the tomb. But God was not done. Lazarus was dead. But God's not done. Yes, the valley had lots of dry bones. But God is not done. I know your marriage is struggling. But God is not done. I know your job is teetering on the brink. But God is not done. I know your checkbook says there's nothing in it. But God is not done. I know your body is tired and you're struggling and you feel wore out. But listen to me. The message of Easter is God is not done. Because the standard of power in the New Testament is the resurrection. He that rose Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, then he will quicken, make live your mortal body. Can you say amen? Listen to me. Your dreams can live again. Your hopes can live again. Your life can be full again. God can do it again and again and again and again. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. That's the message of Easter this morning. Can you say amen? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Church, we need to get a hold of that. We need to believe that. Make it our own. We need to write that on the mirror as we're shaving. Get some lipstick and write, he's the resurrection and the life. And he lives in me. Write it on your mirror. Every morning when you read it, say it to yourself. He's the resurrection and the life. And he lives in me. My dreams will live. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord, the Bible says. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, man, that's a good message. That's the message of Easter. Why don't you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Oh, thank you, Lord. I wonder today, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, <coughs> if you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Pastor? I've listened to what you said, and I don't know if I know this one you're talking about. I, I don't know if I know Jesus is my Savior, but I would like to. I would like to give my life to Christ. I would like to have my sins forgiven. I want to acknowledge him. I want to follow him. I want him in my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand up real quick all across this place? 
Amen. I see those hands. I see them. You can put them down. Anyone else? Lots of hands. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? It's not too late. Amen. I see that hand. Someone else? Amen. I see that one, and I see that one in the back. Amen. Anyone else? Oh, thank you, Jesus. The next step that we need to do is we need to pray a prayer. And basically what we're doing in this prayer is we're simply acknowledging him. We're simply welcoming, welcoming him in. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we should be saved. So that's this part. This is the confession part. It's where I say, you know, I believe it. Now I'm going to receive it. So say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you, come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior and help me to live for you. Thank you for dying on the cross. But thank you for raising again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Tell him you love him. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Pastor Alex is going to come, and he's going to serve communion to us. It's a great day. Can you say amen? Praise God. Let's just give the Lord another big clap offering. Thank him. Lord, we thank you power of your resurrection in this place and in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Our ushers are going to come at this time. We're going to pass out the cups for communion. If you are visiting with us for the first time here at Praise Chapel, the only requirement uh, to receive communion here is that you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. So we uh, invite you uh, who are uh, believers in Christ to join with us in this. Uh, as you take the cup, you'll see uh, there's a cup and a cup. There's two cups stacked on top of each other. So take both of those. The lower one has the bread. The top one has the juice. Um, and if you would hold those while everybody else is served, praise God. And if somebody could bring me one. you too, if you'll just take care as you're taking those apart, sometimes they get a little stuck and don't want you to get juice all over your shirt or ladies on your dress. In the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 is a very important verse for us today. Talking about Jesus, it says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He washed us because he loved us. He didn't say, you know, there's a lot of people that think, you know what, if, if I could just get my act together or just clean my act up a little bit, then maybe God will accept me. You know what? We could never do it, could we? I could never do it. Before I gave my life to Christ, I, there were times where I wanted to be better, do better, and all that, but I, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do what needed to be done to get right with God. I had to have a Savior. We had to have a Savior, didn't we? And because God loved us, 
He washed us. It doesn't say he washed us and then started loving us. He loved us. And because he loved us, because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And because of that, everyone that receives him shall have eternal life. God loved us. The son came. Jesus died, shed his blood. And because God loved us, because we receive him, now we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And we're grateful for that, aren't we? One of the most important truths we can understand about Easter is it's personal. The wording here, loved us, washed us. I want you to say with me today, loved me, washed me. See, Jesus didn't merely die uh, for the world as a whole or just collectively. He died for us as individuals. He died for us personally. He loved us and he washed us. If we miss this point, we miss the whole thing. Easter is personal. And I want you to say this with me this morning. It's personal. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, it says that Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the wording again here is so important. He said, this is my body which is given for you. It was given for you. It was given for me. Praise God. And I want you to say it again this morning. It's personal. And again, it was for me. Praise God. The bread that we hold this morning is, I got one, thank you, is symbolic of Jesus' body that was broken for us. Uh, our ushers are looking for you. If you've not been served and would like to be, if you'd raise your hand up where they could see you and, and know to get that to you. Anyone, everyone been served? I'm looking around. Praise God. I want you to hold the piece of bread that you have. And as we hold this piece of bread, we need to understand today again that this bread is symbolic of Jesus' body that was broken when he was whipped. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, by whose stripes you were healed. And so today, as we are going to receive this bread together in just a moment after we pray, I want to encourage those of us who are here that are in need of healing. Maybe there's something going on in your body. Maybe you have had one of those doctor's reports that was bad. Or maybe there's been a chronic thing going on in your life, physically in your body, something. Uh, maybe it's just a headache. Maybe it's back pain. Whatever it may be this morning, you have a need in your physical body. I want to encourage you that as we join together and receive this bread, this bread is symbolic of his body that was broken. By his stripes, we were healed. If you're here and you have... a, a an emotional need for healing. If you have a, a need for healing in your mind, there are times that I need God's supernatural power to touch my mind. Anybody with me today? Today as we receive this token or symbolic gesture, this, this bread that is symbolic of his body that was broken, 
I want to encourage all of us in whatever area of healing that we need to receive by his stripes we were healed. And so we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to receive the, the bread together. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, we do come before you. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. By your stripes, we were healed. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken for us. And today, we speak healing into sick bodies. Lord, thank you for paying the price for our healing. We speak healing in the troubled minds, in the troubled emotions today. God, thank you for releasing healing by your stripes. And today, we are so grateful that you paid the price for our healing. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for what it represents, the almighty power of God to release healing to us. We thank you for it. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. We do this in remembrance of you, in your name, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's receive together. In Luke 22 and verse 20, it says, Likewise, he, Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Again, it's personal. Say it with me. It's personal. And again, it was for me. Thank God. Thank God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This morning as we are uh, about to receive the cup together, we don't do this as a ritual, just as a church ritual. It's not just something that we do because it's Easter morning and that's just something that you do in church. Now, there may be people throughout the world that it may be a ritual. When I was a boy, I, I went through some classes, and they let me receive communion. After I went through those classes, I, didn't, I wasn't born again. I just did the classes, and because of that, I got the little bread and got the grape juice. And, but I wasn't born again. But you know what? This morning in this place, we know it's not a ritual, don't we? What we're receiving isn't just something we do out of uh, uh, just because we're here in church. It's because Jesus shed his blood, and we know why he shed his blood. It's because all of us needed his forgiveness. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We needed a good washing, didn't we? I've said it before, but, you know, we need, so a lot of us needed a power scrub. We really did. And thank God, that's what Jesus' blood did. There's power in the blood of Jesus to forgive us from every sin. And we're going to receive just a moment. I know preachers, we always say just a moment and a little bit, and closing and all of that. But listen this morning. As we receive this semblance of his blood that was shed, we need in remembrance of the the purpose of that blood, the washing of our sins, no one need leave this place this morning with a guilty conscience, bearing something from the past or, or something that's happened even recently. You know why? Because His blood has washed us and made us whole and clean. Can you say amen? Praise God. Thank God for that. 
We're going to pray together and receive the cup together. Let's just bow our heads. Jesus, thank you for the mighty power of your blood. There is power in your blood, power to cleanse us, power to forgive us, power to bring us into a brand new life, power to give us the ability to live a life that we could have never lived before. Thank you, Jesus, for your bloodshed. Thank you for the power of your resurrection today. What a great day. What a wonderful time to share together in remembrance of what you've done. And that because you worked that work, we are here today, changed, saved, whole, free in your name, the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Praise God. Let's drink this cup. Now, if I could ask you to just put the cups to your side there, just on the chair or there on your chair. Let's stand to our feet. And let's take a moment and thank God for the power of the resurrection. It is Easter Day. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We are alive. Somebody say, I'm alive. Let's make some noise and thank him for his forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the power of your resurrection. Thank you for brand new lives. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your awesome message. Thank you for your good news. Thank God. Thank God. The gospel, gospel means good news. We got good news, don't we? I want to encourage you to share this good news through your week. Uh, we are going to have a prayer team up here in the front. If you'd like personal prayer, uh, come and avail yourself to them to pray for you. Uh, parents, uh, the Easter egg hunt is going to be right in the park behind us. Uh, the rest of you, God bless you. God love you. Somebody shout, He's risen. God bless you.